Hi. Hi. We're going to lament, lament today. At least that's kind of how I feel about it a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. But I promise today we'll come with a little bit of hope. Sound good? And uh, Brian just promised me that you are all awake because you slept an extra hour. Okay? Unless you have small children, I will not hold it against you. I know you are clinging to the edge of death. I've been there. I've been there. So I want to start us off with a little uh, throwback memory to 1997. Oh, we are ready. Okay, I like this. We're ready. Um, where the ASPCA for Animal Cruelty came out with a commercial that stirred up some serious controversy. Now, the commercial showed videos of animals who needed to be rescued from some horrific living conditions. I mean, we're talking horses, dogs, cats. They were sad, they were hurt, abused, bleeding, malnourished, missing eyes, missing limbs. It was an awful thing to see. And then this song called Angel by Sarah McLaughlin played depressingly in the background. I have people laughing and smiling already. Now, the controversy was not whether there should or shouldn't be animal cruelty. The problem that people had with it was it was so hard to look at. Hit play. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to watch it. <laughs> So the fact that you are all responding like this tells me you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, show of hands in the room right now, how many of us have seen this commercial and have changed the channel or muted it when it came on? Yes, I am also guilty. And so when I was doing some research on this commercial, I found some fun comments to see that we are not the only ones. It's not just us in this room that feel this way. Um, one said, I can't take the ASPCA commercials anymore. I love animals. I love dogs more than people, but I can't stand these two-minute ads anymore. This whole look at the sad animals and be sad for them is getting tiring. Come up with something a little more positive about saving animals. And then someone replied to that one and said, these are only two-minute ads. They feel more like 15 to me. <laughs> Another person said, uh, they're much worse than the St. Jude's or the Shriner Kids hospital commercials. Someone else said, I couldn't agree more. If I even catch the first few seconds of these ads, I have to turn the volume down or mute altogether. The sight of all those suffering animals just kills me. And then my favorite one said, I almost broke my leg running for the remote. <laughs> that commercial was the most successful marketing campaign and raised $30 million, becoming the framework for all their advertising moving forward. Our world is a tragically broken place. Right now, there are wars in Israel and Ukraine, horrific abuse and murder on humanity. And then just this last week, in Maine, 18 people were killed in a bowling alley after a gunman open-fired on people. And then also, a hurricane hit Mexico and killed 46 people. I didn't look up the number today, so it could be even more than that, but 46 people when I checked in on Friday, and there are over 50 people missing. See, God calls us to bring light into the broken world. God calls us 
to help bring the world to life. However, when we're faced with the brokenness of the world, like opioid crisis or racism to world to wars and polarization, we often hide. We freeze, we stick our heads in the sand, we say nothing, we keep silent, and we change the channel. Day after day, we pass homeless people here in Duluth, and we try not to make eye contact. And day after day, there are children added to the foster care system, and we don't know what to do. And that includes me. I'm not trying to throw shade, as the kids say. I'm not trying to guilt you or shame you or condemn you. I also feel at a loss for words and action. I mean, I'm not even kidding you. I did not even want to do this this sermon topic. (laughs) I tried to give this sermon topic away so many times. And you can see how that went for me. (laughs) Um, But I, I, I refuse to watch the news. I don't want to watch the news. I don't want to know what's happening out in the world. I just assume that if something horrible enough happens, I'm sure that someone in my life will tell me about it. And that's how I stay in control of how much information I'm getting, like hitting the mute button. But for others of us, we get filled up with rage, and we complain to our friends and our neighbors, we post junk on social media, and we sink into bitterness, cynicism, and hopelessness. And even the church doesn't always know how to respond. Why? Because we don't lament. The white church in America is out of touch because we've never stopped to say that thing was wrong. That thing was evil and grieve alongside people that are in pain. And then taking an injustice like racism or sexism before the Lord and crying out for change. I am talking an honest lament that allows God to speak to us and shape our hearts and our perspective. And instead of acknowledging tragedy, the church often says nothing. Or what we'll see a lot of Christians do is they create this safe space where they say, this is what real Christianity looks like, and you have to look like us or talk like us or believe everything that we believe, and this is what it looks like, and if you're not in here, then you're out there, and you are judged, and you are on the outside, and you're going to hell. That is often why people who identify in the LGBTQ feel like they are unwelcome in church. And it can even look like an insensitive response of ignoring the pain of the world and then just jumping all the way to, you know what, one day God will restore it all. So it's fine. Just let go, let God. And yes, there is some truth in the fact that one day God will restore it all, but he still sent Jesus. Even God didn't say, yeah, that is a huge dumpster fire and one day I'll fix it. Jesus was, or God, Jesus was God's way of actively participating in taking steps towards redeeming the world. And so this morning, I wanted to take one second and say, I am so sorry if that has been your experience of the church. I am so sorry. I'm sorry for the way that the church has treated people 
And I am sorry if I have contributed to that in any way because that is not the heart of God. And it all begins with lament. It's taking the evil to God and letting God speak to our hearts so we can have something to say, something to do. Because what we need is a heart change. In order for us as followers of Jesus to face our broken world, we must start with lament. And as we lament, we cry out for God's justice and we draw his attention to the brokenness of our world. And in his presence, he reshapes our hearts so that we can begin to respond with his love and vision for the world. A world that he has incredible hope for. And I know that this makes us all uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable talking about this. Like I said, I did not want to do this, this sermon. I literally tried to get rid of it. Because these topics are hot buttons for us. Very emotionally charged. And we often get distracted by the politics. But I really believe there is something good for all of us in this. And so my invitation for you this morning is to come with me. Learn with me. Let's do this together as we engage with Jesus. Cool? All right, let me pray for us. Jesus, we need you. We desperately, desperately need you. And it is so hard to look at the condition of our world. And it stirs up a lot of, uh, like, even, like, questions about faith in us. Some of our theology gets challenged when we look at the brokenness of the world. But would you help us this morning to take a next step as we lament the world that we see? Would you speak to our hearts this morning? Would you give us your heart this morning, Jesus? So we can have something to say, so that we can be a light in the dark of this world. Amen. Okay, so this morning we're going to be learning from a prophet in the Bible who walked through this exact same problem. And so you can open your Bibles to Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk was a prophet for Judah, and Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and the Israelites were God's chosen people with whom he would use to execute his rescue plan with Jesus. They had risen up through horrific treatment of other people and other nations. And his anger, he, he was angry and he was afraid, and so he starts his book with lament, because lament is a cry for justice. Real justice from sin. Take a look at chapter 1, 2 through 4. It says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. The prophet turns to God and begins to lament the brokenness around him. He's crying out 
to God about how the Torah, which is the law that the Jewish people needed to live by, was being completely ignored. And he's upset that violence and injustice seem to be winning in every direction, and he feels hopeless because the people that are in places of leadership are they themselves corrupt. Just like Habakkuk, we need to turn to God with the brokenness of our world. And typically, where we like to start when the world is raging is with the news. Maybe you have a news source that is your go-to spot. You turn it on, you're like, I'll find out more information here. Or maybe you take the news, you take a couple different news sources, and you compare them because you can't really trust one, so you have to kind of do a little, you know, somewhere in between to get your balance of information. Or often we'll turn to social media, and we'll look for the most popular opinion based on people that we like or people we hope to win over to like us. Or we say something like, I don't really know what to think, so I will just go with whatever the person believes that I trust the most. I'm just going to pick whatever they pick. Or maybe turning to social media looks like angry commenting. We've seen, we've seen a lot of that lately. Angry commenting where we think that we can just put it out there and that someone's going to change their mind based on how, how we are responding. Or it's sharing all kinds of articles. We're like, you know what, I'll just, I'll just continue to put the truth out there on social media. Who even reads those articles, okay? I can't be the only one that just keeps scrolling by. Maybe it's even turning to someone in your life that just stays more engaged in World Matters than you. For me, that's my dad. My dad is always, always knows what's happening in the world, and I will only ask if I am desperate and have an exit strategy from that conversation. <laughs> the place that we start, even without all the details, is turning to God and crying out to him acknowledging the brokenness of our world. And you can even use the words of Habakkuk. Destruction and violence are before me. Their strife and conflict abounds. Justice never prevails. And as we complain to him, we draw God's attention to the injustice of our world. And now what we've learned in the last few weeks with lament is that there are times when God remains silent but there are also times where he's not. And after Habakkuk's complaint, God actually responds to him, which is very hopeful for me. And they have a back and forth dialogue. But what I want you to notice is something in God's response to Habakkuk's complaints. In his response, God says, yeah, I know. I know that evil seems to be winning. I know. And in one section, he even speaks directly to some of those injustices. He says, I see that there's oppression and injustice. I see that there's unjust economic practices where the wealthy people charge ridiculous amounts of interest to keep the poor in debt. 
I see that there's slave labor where people are being treated with abuse. I see that there is corrupt leadership, abusive leadership, where those who are supposed to be leading change are off partying and living it up, leaving those in their care to fend for themselves. I see that power and money and national security have become these nation's gods and that they're driven by idolatry. And what God is doing here is in the same way that we want God to look at it and fix it, he's asking us to stop and take an honest look ourselves. And that's the part that we don't like. Even Habakkuk says that in verse 3. He says, why do you make me look at this? And the reason we have to look at it is because then we, we can begin to identify what's really going on beneath the surface. We need to lament the root cause of brokenness in our world, which is sin. And so how do we begin to lament something that's so hard for us to talk about? If you want to lament the sin behind drug addiction, maybe make a friend with an addict. Hear their story and let it break your heart. If you want to begin to lament the sin of racism, maybe start with reading a book about it, talking with someone who has experienced it, letting Jesus break your heart. A little while ago, I listened to a book on Audible called The Color of Compromise. And it came to a chapter or like a section of the book where they were going to start talking about and telling the stories of lynching in America. And I was like, oh no, I don't want to hear this. And I scrambled for my phone. I grabbed it. And right as I was about to hit pause, the author said, now before you pause and try to skip over this, I'm not even kidding you. I was like, I'm busted. Before you pause this and try to skip over these stories, let me tell you that as hard as it can be to hear this, knowing what people have lived through will break your heart, but it will help you show up differently. And so I listened. I listened with my thumb hovering over the pause button just in case it got to be too much, but I listened. And it absolutely broke my heart. Sin is the reason for the brokenness in our world. And when we fully see that, we can ask God to fix it for him to make it better. And it focuses our hearts even more on him and his power and our need for him to show up. And when we do this, we encounter God's heart for the world. So as Habakkuk is crying out in lament for God's mercy and justice, he positions himself to encounter God. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts, which is like the city wall. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. There are times when waiting on God is the most important thing that we could ever do. And this is incredibly difficult to do 
when it feels like the world is closing in on us. But we need to wait. We need to wait patiently. And this is an act of the will in submission. It's saying, I don't know what's best, so I will wait on the Lord. And then we need to wait with perspective. Habakkuk says he's waiting from the tower. He's getting a different perspective. I like to call this kind of waiting, um, like elevating your vision. And this waiting is an act of the mind. It's keeping the perspective of God in our suffering or the brokenness we have out in front of us. And the only way that we can wait patiently or with perspective is if we first look at Jesus, keeping him at the center. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was staring down the sin of the world, about to take it all on himself. And it was going to be an extreme pain and suffering. And he was waiting in that place, waiting in suffering for you and for me. He was enduring for you and for me. And when we know that, when we see that, we can then wait on God, wait on him and his timing. And as we wait in God's presence, we listen attentively. Because it's in God's presence that our hearts begin to change. I mean, just think about it. Habakkuk is laser-focused on the root issue of the world's pain out in front of him. And he sees the dependency his people have on God to move. And he's standing at full attention, waiting for God to speak and give him direction. That, that's like a, a well-needed piece of clay ready for shaping. Our lament our cry for God to bring justice will bring us to a place of attention and availability for God to speak to us so we can respond. And that's when God shares his heart for the world. God actually says to Habakkuk, hey, write this down. Now, if God tells you to write this down, you know the next thing is going to be gold, okay? And he says that he sees the needs of the world and he has a greater plan. First, for individual people. Chapter 2, 3 through 4 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. He's saying that even though it seems like evil and injustice have the upper hand here, they ultimately won't. It might feel like forever, but it will come when a righteous person will live by their faith. And what he's talking about is sending Jesus. He's promising Habakkuk that a day is coming where sin will be conquered and people can know God and be with God here in this world, no longer relying on prophets or sacrifices on an altar, where people can have a personal relationship with God through faith. And it's all part of God's rescue plan. And this is the heart that God has for individual people for all of mankind. When we're looking 
at the brokenness of our world, it can be so difficult to see an individual. The war in Israel has people outraged at the behavior of the Palestinians. But God loves the Palestinians just as much as anyone else. He longs for each of them to have a personal relationship with him just as much as the next person. And that can become our prayer. Lord, sin has gripped the minds and the hearts of soldiers. And in their sin, they're treating people with horrific violence, yet you love them. May they come to know you and love you and change their ways. Now, that is not an easy prayer to pray. And we might have to pray for our own hearts to even want that while we pray for that. But that's the heart of God. And then secondly, God has a plan for all creation. God goes on to speak directly to the issues that Habakkuk originally presented. God says, yes, Judah is a mess, and the Babylonian empire will overtake them. He confirms the very fear, the very worry that Habakkuk had from the beginning. But then he goes on to say, and I will bring the Babylonians down. He explains that violence and oppression of the nations actually creates this never-ending cycle of revenge because the world uses the threat of death to try to force peace. But God will use this cycle to bring about the rise and fall of a nation. And that is his sovereignty, that he, is, that he sees all and that he is above all. And even though he uses a corrupt nation, it doesn't mean he endorses their behavior. He holds them accountable to his justice, and his justice will come. In 2.14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God is telling the prophet that he has a redemptive plan for all of creation and he reassures him that his ultimate justice and sovereignty will win. This is his hope in light for the broken world. And this is our hope and light for the broken world. That one day God will come a second time. And the first time he came, he came through Jesus to conquer sin and make a way for us to know him personally. But the second time he comes, he's going to bring the fullness of his kingdom and his will and his glory will cover the earth. And these words remind Habakkuk of the greatness of God as well as brings him deep hope. And he responds, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And his prayer shifts to seeing hope. Seeing his God who is moving in greater ways than he can understand. A God who is driven by love and justice for all of creation. 
And the same goes for us. It's in God's presence that he, it's in his presence that he reminds us of this greater plan. And we stand in awe of his works that are beyond our understanding. And sometimes it can look like a giant mess, completely out of control. But just like Habakkuk, we can continue to ask, to pray, that we would see in our time God's great plan come to fruition. And right now we're living in the in-between, in between Jesus dying on the cross for our sin and making a way for us to know him while we wait for the final day where God's glory floods the earth. And it's in that space where we get to partner with what God's doing, where we get to help bring God's will to this earth because God's hope equips us to respond to a broken world. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. This is how the book ends. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no fruit, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to tread on the heights. That is the transformative power of encountering God at lament. Where even in the face of a broken world, we can find hope because our hope is in the one who reigns over it all. This is the sovereignty of God. And the one who reigns over it all is our strength, giving us his heart so we can respond. Now, often when I am working on a sermon, I run my ideas past my mom. She is my biggest cheerleader. And so I was telling her about this message, and she was like, Wow, yeah, that's so good. Okay, now you need to tell me what to do. Like, what do I do? Like, give me some really practical next steps. And I said, Mom, that's the very thing that I can't do. It would be easier if I could just say, all right, back row, you are now going to be responsible for hurricane relief. Next row, you're going to tackle homelessness in Duluth and go down the line and give out different assignments, but I can't do that because there is something personal and unique that God has placed on your heart. There is something that outrages you, brings you to tears, keeps you awake at night, happening in our world today that God is calling you to move towards. But you cannot respond effectively until we lament. Having sat in the presence of God and letting him share his heart with us. We have to be at a heart place and a mind place so we can respond. And that's what we see in Isaiah 61. 
It says the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, is on you, because the Lord has anointed me, has anointed you to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me, he has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captive and release from darkness the prisoner, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair." They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's taking the hope of God out into the world. And lament offers us the opportunity to line up with what God is, with what God is already doing and be on mission with him to make the world better. It's not God showing up with all of his angels and taking care of all of it while we sit back and eat chips on the couch. It's him in us. Why else do you think the rest of the world looks to Christians when crisis breaks out? They go, where are the Christians? It's because we can actually be a part of the solution. Jesus said, we are a city on a hill, so let your light shine with the ethic of God's city, creating peace by sharing generously even with our enemies, preserving life with love and forgiveness even if it costs us. We get to embody the love and redemptive plan for all of humanity. And as I mentioned, this stuff, this stuff is really hard for me. I can easily become overwhelmed with like the amount of ways to respond. It's like it cripples me because I, I just, I want to fix it all and so instead I do nothing. But the way that we're going to respond is going to look different for all of us. Like some of us in this room might be the next Mother Teresa. You might be the, a nun that's going to move towards the poor. I thought for sure someone would be like, don't pick me. <laughs> but others of us are going to have smaller, more practical steps. Like it might be on your heart to solve hunger in Africa. And God might give you a simple step, like making friends with people from Africa hearing about their culture and hearing how they do life, doing life with them. And we need to be really cautious about comparing our responses that God gives us to other people's. Because what God asks of one person will look drastically different from someone else's. And our culture likes to play this comparison game, like measuring success by the magnitude of the impact. Other people may not understand how doing something really practical, like bringing a meal to a refugee family in your neighborhood, contributes to the world problem of people groups being forced from their homes and their lands. But that's why we need to hear from God. You need to hear from God on your own and cling to the hope of God letting it shape your heart. And let me tell you that if you are obedient 
to whatever that thing is, big or small, the thing that the Lord is asking of you, your obedience will be the most successful thing that you could ever do. And all of us have a part in it. God has sent Christians to start hospitals. God has sent Christians to open, open homeless shelters. God has sent Christians to pick up trash and deliver groceries to sick neighbors. God will give us each a way to respond when we begin with lament, crying out for his justice, letting him break our hearts, it opens us up to an honest dialogue with God, allowing us to respond with his vision and his heart for this broken world. And so we're going to begin to do that now. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And this is the part of our service that we call ministry time. Uh, we do it every single week, and it's just where we get to respond to the things that we feel like God is uh, dialing, up, dialing up in our hearts through the message. And honestly, as I was getting ready this morning, I put my, my notes down, and I had to come back because I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to start ministry time with waiting. And so I think that's where we're going to begin. So I'm going to invite you to make yourself comfortable in whatever way feels best for you. Um, I like to hold out my hands, close my eyes, um, and we're just going to wait on the presence of the Lord. And it might feel awkward, it might feel uncomfortable for you to be standing in a room full of people quietly, but that is okay. We can handle it. We can do awkward. So I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come meet us. Jesus, would you come and would you begin to speak to each of us? We wait on your presence, Lord. Wait on you, God. It's in your presence, Jesus, that we can begin to respond. We can begin to hear from you in your heart. And so we wait on you. I feel like the Lord is beginning to speak to some of you right now about different issues, maybe that rose up this morning for you. 
issues in our world that make you so incredibly angry. And I think others of us have to wait longer. So some of us this morning, we need to start with lament. We need to start with crying out to God because the world needs his justice. And we need to get close to the the root issue, what's really going on. And so Jesus, I ask that you would begin to speak to the people that are needing that, that they would know what to do next, where to go next. And then others of us this morning, you've maybe begun to lament some things, but you need God's vision. You are hopeless. Your lament has led you to maybe a hopeless place. And you need God to begin to speak to you. You've waited, but now you're ready to listen. You're ready to respond. And so, Lord, would you begin to speak to those people? And then I I really believe there's others of us this morning that feel so overwhelmed by the condition of their own life that they don't even know how to address the world. They don't even know how to look at it. I have such a mess going on in my own life right now that I couldn't possibly consider taking on anything else. And I feel like the Lord wants to expand your heart. I'm going to invite the ministry team to come forward. If you are trained to pray, I'd love to have you come up and be available. And if God has really been dialing some things up, maybe in the world, maybe it's just in your own life, and that might be an actual practical space where God wants you to begin to lament is the hard stuff going on in your own life. I'm going to welcome you to come up and get some prayer this morning. Let's be a community that laments the brokenness of our world so we can know how to respond. We're going to continue to worship and I invite you to engage with whatever God is dialing up for you this morning.